0: My name is Evan. Uh, if we have not met, I am a pastor. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for the scripture that is before us. We thank you for the Bible, which you have, you have given us through centuries and centuries that have been passed down. We thank you for those who have literally died to give this word to us so that we may live We pray that we will continue to live by your word, and we pray that we will be transformed not only by what we read today, but what we read in our daily walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I was at Stater Brothers when I ran into a racist, and um, I know it's, how did I know that he was a racist? Uh, He told me, I'm a racist, and so, (laughs) you know, that kind of at least tells me up front what I'm dealing with. What had happened was my wife had sent me out for butter at like 7 in the morning. She's like, I want to bake something today. I'm like, we don't have butter. Go get butter. I don't want to get out of bed. I went down to Stater Brothers. She wins, (laughs) like always. I'm standing there, and the biggest dilemma so far is, okay, salted or unsalted. And this very large, uh, built, like swole guy, bald guy, bunch of tattoos, swastikas, and SS, Caucasian gentleman walking down with his cart. And he said, hey, yo near the butter. Is this your cart? And I'm like, and I'm just standing, I just went for butter. I'm like, no, I'm just here for butter. I'm like, why am I saying that? He doesn't care. And he's like, it's not yours? I'm like, no, it's not mine. And he's like, huh. And he takes his cart and he just whacks the heck out of that cart out of the way. And he says, you know, Asians. And I'm like, okay, so salted or unsalted, and he's like, you know how they are, and I'm like, okay, I'm not really looking for this conversation, but I guess it's happening now, and he gets closer, and and he's like, you know what I mean, and I'm like, I'm not sure what you mean, and I'm like, oh, now he's going to tell me what he means, so now he goes on, and he begins to tell me, and like, totally all these things that he hates about Asian people, I'm like, oh, okay, Um, I said, well, my wife is Asian, and he's like, well, that's your problem, I'm like, "Okay." And I'm like, well, you should probably be careful what you say. And then he starts getting really close to me, and he's like, oh, yeah, why is that? And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> now we're going to have a fight in the butter section, and I'm going to wreck this guy. And So I'm like, well, you know, you're kind of in the middle of Little Saigon, and so (laughs) I'm just thinking maybe you should be careful what you say. And he said, I don't care. I'm a racist. Look, I'm a Nazi. And he pulls down all of his tattoos. He pulls down his collar to reveal all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I hate. And he goes on to tell me about all the other races he hates, which is pretty much all of them. And I'm like, okay. I said, that's very interesting. Why are you this way? I'm just curious, how did you get that way? It was an authentic question. I'm not like trying to be, you know, how did you become, how did you get to this mindset? And he starts telling me his story. And he goes, I'm just standing there, the butter's like <laughs> melting, I should put this back. And, and, and he's like, well, I was in the military, and I was in the Middle East, and I learned to hate all the Arab people. I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah. And then I, I got into some trouble, and I went to prison. And in prison, they separate us by race, and I learned to hate all of the other races. I'm like, oh, you see, that's interesting. He's like, yeah, that's why I'm angry. That's why I hate them. I'm like, okay, how do you feel about Jesus Christ? I don't know. It was just something random to say. I'm like, well, we're already here. We're already being crazy in the middle of the butter section. I'm just going to evangelize. Just because I don't know what else to do. I'm just like, so I'm like, what, so what do you think about Jesus? And he says this, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I could not compute. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, what? He's like, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I, I believe in the Bible. I'm like, oh, really? I said, okay, so let me ask you, how do you reconcile thoughts like that you find in the Bible, things that were said and commanded Specifically, I pulled up Galatians 4. I just like, hey, in Galatians, Paul talks about in, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. By the way, I didn't tell him that Jesus was a Jew. I think he would have just like blown up at me or something. But I'm like, hey, I'm like, but in Christ, like, like we're no longer just defined just by our race or our societal backgrounds. It, like we're a complete new identity in who Jesus is. And he kind of stepped back at this point. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, maybe I, I, I didn't catch that. I'm like, okay, well, how about this one? Do you know John 3.16? Okay, like even unbelievers know John 3.16. Brian, why are you late? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm glad you're here. He just came at me. I'm like, oh, God, is he going to deck me right now? (laughs) Okay, everybody knows John 3.16. Like even unbelievers know John 3.16. I'm like, what's John 3.16? He's like, well, for God so loved the world that he… I'm like, okay, just stop. Stop right there. For God so what? And he's like, love the world. I'm like, the world, the whole world, everything. Right now I'm being crazy and Stater Brothers. I'm like, God loves the whole world, everybody in the world. Would you agree? He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I believe that. I'm like, you believe that. So you believe that God loves everybody, every race, everybody in the whole world and died for them. And so how do you reconcile a God that's that loving with what you believe right now? And he he at, at this point he was starting to back up now. And he was like, whoa, man. And he actually put his hand behind his neck, he was rubbing his head, and he's like, well, I mean, that's 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 in you know in heaven, that's later. I'm like, no, that starts right now. Jesus came to actually relaunch humanity. And 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 and, t- and I just started like preaching at him. I'm like, so I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like now I'm like, I'm like yeah, you know, I'm pretty yeah, it's here. It's, I don't know. And he said, well, I guess I just never thought about it, okay? It's fair. He actually ended by shaking my hand. He's like, he's like, so what are you? I'm, like, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You like that one? Got you there. All right all right, I still have all my teeth. He didn't knock me out or anything. Praise God. But I think that that's the state of many Christians today. We may not all struggle with like racism or like we're angrily bashing carts at Stater Brothers or tattooing Nazi symbols on us. But I think to some degree, the church has lost a lot of its its ability to read. It's not that we've lost our vision, and it's not that we don't understand we're illiterate, but that we are not actually engaging in the Bible in the way that we are becoming transformed to be more like Christ. See, this guy knew some of the Scripture. He, he was like, okay, some of it I know. He had the information. He had the affirmation of some sort of feelings. He, he knew, he's like, well, Jesus is my Lord. I know that good things will happen after this life. He had some affirmation. He had some information, but he had no transformation. And that's what happens to even Christians when we stray from Scripture, when we walk away, when we think that we know things and we just say, you know what, I I think I'm good. I went to church or, you know, I heard a devotion or somebody on air once said something and I feel good and now I have information, but you don't actually see anything change in your life. You don't actually see anything change in your life. It is imperative that for a Christian, we have the Word of God in us and constantly flowing. We cannot be fooled or we just become just like the Stater Brothers Nazi. This last week, I, uh, had, I had a job uh, doing some sound work I do production sound, as, as some of you know, and they asked, hey, are you okay if we bring you in on a surgery? Can you do a, uh, like, you know, just record, we want to record a certain procedure, and I'm like, oh, I'm not great with blood, but okay, I'm just doing sounds every time they were doing something, like, we're going to do this now, I just turn away and hear, like, Whoa. I started feeling a little nauseous, I'm like, man, what if I fall over and faint with all this stuff? Anyway, it was fun, but what was really cool about it was watching the surgeons and their procedures and, and just how they think. And one of the things that the, the, the lead surgeon did was go over to the board and he's like, okay, let me get baseline. I need to get baselines from everybody. And so, and so everybody's calling out blood pressure is this. And what they're trying to establish is what is the norm for this patient? right? What is normal? Because if your blood pressure is down, well, they actually already had a blood pressure like that, right? So, it made sense. I was just excited because he was at a whiteboard, and I love whiteboards. I'm like, man, that's so cool. There's so many lines on it, and anyway. But for the Christian, the baseline is having Jesus in our heart, but the way that we would indicate that is Scripture. How well are we in our Scripture? How do we know our Scripture? For thousands of years, the Hebrew uh, people were the carriers, the transmitters of God's word, and they wouldn't actually even do it through through physical writing. They would do it orally, just through tradition, and they would just remember the passages and be able to recall a whole book. Now, here, who here could I just like by a show of hands? Who here? And don't you don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed. I just you know I'm just curious. Who here can memorize the whole Bible? Okay, maybe you're just being shy. Okay, uh, how about the half of the Bible? All right, well, how about like just a book from the Bible? How about like a, like a few verses? Are we good with, yeah? All right, all right, we're good with that. Okay, we're good with that. You may think, oh, no, that's impossible. It is not. The ancient Hebrews who had carried God's promises did it all orally. And, and is that still possible? It is. I had recently, not recently, maybe four or five years ago, visited a mosque, I went for, uh, when I was in seminary, we were checking out different religions, just sitting in, and like, okay, well, let's see what, you know, just curious, intercultural, you know. And afterwards, I had met with a Muslim gentleman and his young son, who's about 13, and he said, my, my son here has just completed memorizing half of, of the Quran. He memorized it all, and in Arabic. And I was just blown away, like, yeah, he can recall anything, boom, 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 boom. Now, as a nation, our numbers are very down when it comes to Christians knowing their Bible in America, and that's very scary because it can make us very spiritually lethargic. And when we're not engaged in Scripture and we don't allow Scripture to engage with us, we're not going to see any transformation. We say that we're Christians maybe by name, we're just kind of waiting like, oh, one day we'll be in glory and I'm, I'm looking forward to that but we're not really willing to constantly sacrifice the time that it takes to sit down and pray and think deeply about the Scriptures that we have before us. So today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew. We're actually going to look at the transfiguration. We're going to look at the transfiguration of Jesus and some of the responses of His disciples. A little bit of lead-up to this. Matthew 16. Now, Matthew 16 and 17 kind of go together. It's hard. We believe that the scriptures are inspired, but the numbers that are next to some of them, not necessarily. We added those a couple centuries later just so, like, we have an address, right? It's like, hey, there's a party at my house after. You'd be like, okay, where's that, right? You'd need an address. Well, we decided as a church thousands of years ago, let's add some numbers. Unfortunately, this one kind of breaks kind of hard because if I were to start with Matthew 17, you'd hear me say, after six days, you're like, well, that's kind of a weird way to start a conversation, right? So we'd need to go back a little bit, and what you'd find—I'll just summarize—Matthew sixteen was Jesus's great uh, uh, Peter's great confession. What is the great confession? Anybody know what, what he confesses? That Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the the Savior, you are the the Christ. And Jesus says, "Bingo was his name." Oh, you got it. That's not what he said, but I'll paraphrase. He's like, "You got it. I'm the Messiah." And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to suffer many things, and I have to take on sin, and I have to go to the cross, and I have to die, but I'll be resurrected. And Peter goes, no, 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 that's not, that's not, no, that's not good. We don't want any of that. And then Jesus says, okay, get behind me, Satan. So it's like one minute, it's like, yeah, bingo, you got it. Nope, get behind me. Oh my gosh. And then Jesus goes on to say, but hey, I want to encourage you. Because you've heard that, yes, there is sacrifice. Yes, there is blood. Yes, there is sin. There is all this messiness about the human condition that I'm about to go and take care of right now. But you won't die without seeing me in glory. You won't, you won't die before you see my kingdom come. And so, the, oh, cliffhanger, chapter 17. Here we go, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. After six days, Jesus took him... Uh, took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. In other words, he like metamorphosis, like transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, "'This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him.'" When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. "'Get up,' he said. "'Don't be afraid.'" When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus.'" As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the, the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. The disciples understood what he was, that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So what just happened? Jesus, after talking to them and kind of in a, you know, kind of a discouraging note, it's like, look, I got to die. But hey, on an encouraging note, you, you will see the Son of Man come into my kingdom. And, of course, they didn't want that. They're like, oh, I just want to see the glory. What are you talking about dying? This is bad stuff. So he leads them up the mountain. Now, while they're up the mountain, while they're going up the mountain, let me tell you a little story of background. The Hebrews, for many years, for about 1,500 years, had faithfully carried the word of God. They were the transmitters. In the very beginning, God had created everything beautifully. He's like, look, I want you, humanity, my chief possession, to just, to just be in a relationship with me, and, we, and everything will be awesome. There will be no, nothing bad at all. Well, that lasted for two chapters of the Bible at the very beginning, and then man screwed up and said, no, I'm going to give in to these other spiritual forces which are saying that maybe it's possible I could just do my own thing and be my own God, and they fell. That's us in our current state of humanity, that we're broken. They introduced all of these broken things. There's now divorces, there's violence, there's rape, there's incest, there's all of these terrible things. There's jealousy, there's rage. But through the entire Old Testament, God says again and again, look, I am going to make, I'm going to remake humanity. I'm going to do it through a savior. I'm going to send someone. And he sends his prophet Moses. And through Moses, he's like, I'm going to establish a law that will set you apart from every other nation. So they had a law. That was actually a big thing. Okay. All the other pagan nations around were like, you know, let's just walk around naked and kill whenever we want. Okay. So they actually formed a society around God's word but over the years, people would forget. They would not read the Scripture, or they would just mechanically say it, but it's like, blah, blah, I know that. I just want to be naked and kill whoever I want. So over and over again, we see this pattern. That's when God would send prophets in. A prophet would go and say, hey, remember this thing? I know it's all dusty, but do you remember this? This is God's promise to us. There is a new humanity that is coming. There is something so much more than the world that is before you. Over and over, you might see brokenness, but God is still loving. He wants us to listen. And people would occasionally, through the history of the Israelites, reread it and be like, oh my gosh, this is a God of love. This isn't a God of just just me, me, me. This isn't a God of sex. This isn't a God of of money. This isn't a God of of all of these things. This is a God who, who wants me to flourish and wants our society to flourish. And they'd all praise, but then a few years go by, and then, well, I just want to be naked and kill whoever I want, right? So over and over again. But Jesus gives this pro- uh, But God gives this promise of this Savior that will come. So years go by, and they're not seeing it. And suddenly, this group of people is, is kind of enveloped by this Roman Empire that's very oppressive. And all of the Jews of the time, just they couldn't stand it. They wanted a place of their own. They wanted to see this society that God was talking about. But now they can't do it. Why? Well, there's this thing in the way called the Romans. There's bitterness, there's racism, there's all of this stuff that's bubbling up and the people are all mad. Now, little, little thing, between the pages of your Old Testament and New Testament, well, there's a map on this one, but generally it's blank. There's one page, right? It's like Old Testament, Malachi, done. The New Testament, yay, Matthew, right? In that blank page, there was about 400 years of silence where we do actually have some writings, but it's not from God directly. During that time, it's called the intertestamental period, right? That is between the two testaments, intertestamental. I don't want to say that too fast. Get in trouble, <laughs> right? There were, there were some revolts. And I'm going to say this, that uh, it may be shocking to you, but actually there were many other people who were coming up and claiming to be the Messiah. So when people were calling Jesus the Messiah, they had a different notion of what a Messiah was in that 400 years, there were people that would come along and say, you know what? These Romans, no good. Jesus talks, or Jesus, God talks about justice, and he talks about all of this, like, we're going to conquer and be conquerors of the world, and we're sons of God. We got to go and slay all of these dirty Romans. Who's with me? And everybody would shout, yeah, we're with you. And then the Romans would come in and kill them. (laughs) Okay, squash that one. And then another person would come along and say, you know what? Uh, I know how to get them out. I think if we just preach them out, oh, okay, they came and killed them. So there's all of this resentment, and they're still awaiting, like, there has to be one. There has to be the Savior that will come. So when Jesus comes on the scene, and Peter says, you're the Messiah, like, you are the Messiah. You're the, you're the chosen one. You're the one that's going to come and say, come on, let's get these Romans out of here. Let's just get... That's what they were thinking the Messiah was. That's the background to this. So when Peter says, you're the Messiah, and Jesus affirms him, he's like, well, yes, in the same way that you would say Optimus Prime is a truck, you're correct. I am the Messiah, but there's more than meets the eye here, Peter. I'm trying to say that Jesus was a truck. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that Jesus is a truck. Just making sure you're awake. But what he's saying is, yes, you are correct. I am the Messiah, just like Optimus is a truck. However, it's not what you're thinking. You're thinking that I've come to liberate you of all the bad things that are going on in the world and all the bad things going on in this political system. But actually I've come to correct something, to change something, to transfer something, to transfigure a whole society and a whole world. So they go up the mountain because these guys are still in doubt. Like he's gonna die. I don't get it. That's no, he's gonna come on, come on, you gotta we gotta get these Romans out. And just for a moment we see a glimpse of heaven peel back and they have this vision, they see, they experience Jesus for really who he is in all of his glory. We're told in John one that, that the word of God became flesh. That is literally that the word that was spoken from the very beginning became flesh and that was Jesus. And it's almost like, hey, this is really who I am. I am really God, I'm really divine. It's not just I have really bright clothes, right? And I don't have flashlights coming out of my face. This is really who I am, this is glory. And next to him, we see who? We see Moses and Elijah. Now, why are those two there? It's like, oh, cool, there's a party, and like, there's lights coming out, and this bright cloud, which I don't know what that means. That's Wow. They represent something. They represent the law that was given. That's Moses. In fact, Jews would even teach and preach. They're like, well, the law of Moses says this. They were, he was so tied to the law of society. Those were God's promises of justice and mercy and all of those great things. And Elijah represents all of the prophets. Okay, Elijah Elijah was always thought of as like, okay, he's the greatest prophet, and so he represents all of the prophets. So, this moment is there to teach these disciples, like, I want to encourage you because you want glory. I understand that there's going to have to be some pain. There has to be some sacrifice, a lot of it, a lot more than you know. But I'll give you a little glimpse. It's almost like, hey, I know you're watching the game right now, but let me show you the end. I DVR'd it from the future, and actually your team wins. I know it's halftime, and we don't have any points yet, and it's like 100 to one or 100 to zero, but let me show you a little glimpse of what's on the other side to encourage you. And so he comes and says, okay, look, Here's Elijah, here's, here's, it's basically all pointing to Jesus as the entire encapsulation of the Old Testament. Everything that was said and taught about God is now all making manifest itself in Jesus. This is much bigger than just some guy on a revolution. Yeah, we got to do it. This was much more than just a big light show. I mean, Peter does get pretty crazy here and he's like okay we got to build some tents this is like burning man or something like this is crazy <laughs> i mean coachella let's get some ch- tents and just chill here for a while because this is awesome but what it points to is on the other side yes there is glory that we don't see there are things that we don't see as christians even still but we know that it is there okay we know that there are things on the other side of the curtain of reality Now, here's where we come back to the Bible. Here's where we come back to why I'm talking about the Bible at the very beginning. I want us to look at what Peter's response is to all of this. Because again, the mindset of Peter is what? I just want glory. I just want us to reign and and everything to be great. But Jesus makes the point, no, it comes through sacrifice and suffering first. But I'll show you a little bit just to kind of get you excited. But here's where Peter's at in this exact moment. He says, while he was still... whoops. It says here, just uh, then a period verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we're told in other Gospels that Peter just didn't know what to say, you know? You ever have one of those weird moments where, like, somebody tells you something, you're like, oh, <laughs> and you just say something really stupid, and you're like, oh, foot and mouth moment. But I think he's speaking from his heart as well there's something going on. It's good for us to be here. In other words, Peter basically is like, man, I'm really caught up by this experience. I'm really caught up by this experience, and I think I'm going to get to why, why this is important for us to understand and why we're not reading our Bibles. We may get really caught up when we go to a, um, to a retreat or to a conference, or in worship, and we're just like so like, oh man, my emotions are bursting forth. I love all of this. And that's great. That is certainly an affirmation of God working. Or you may read something in, in, in a Bible study, or a group study, or in, in your discipleship, or you may hear a sermon online, or here, and you're like, oh my gosh, my mind was blown by that. So you may get the information, but there's still not a transformation in your life that's happening yet. So far, Peter's just enjoying the experience. He's going along for the ride. Now, we as Christians may deceive ourselves sometimes. When we come here, when we go on retreats, when we go off to mission, and think that, yeah, I got this. I know my stuff. This is really good. I like the experience. I'm enjoying it. But Peter didn't recognize what was going on. He didn't recognize the scriptures quite yet. Because when God speaks next and he says, this is my son in whom I delight, listen to him, all three of those are references to the, to the Old Testament, to the prophets, to the law, and to worship. It's the entire Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. All of that was encompassed when God spoke and said, this is my son. This is everything that you've read. You should know right here in front of you, personified in Jesus Christ. But Peter doesn't want to move from here. He's like, no, you know what, let's just, he doesn't quite understand it yet. He's like, let's set up a, a tense, three separate tents. He's basically equating Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Oh, well, you know, it's, it, this is great. I really love it. He's still putting his own interpretation into things and thinking that, no, I think I got it. I know it. You're all somewhat related. But God says, no, 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 no. Everything is about Jesus. Everything in this scripture is about Jesus he interrupts Peter and says, "Uh, I think you've got it a little off, bro. We're too quick to just stop at having holy experiences. We think that we walk away from here like, that was a great set. It was awesome. It was a funny sermon. I think I'm good for the week on God. I don't think I need to pick up the scriptures. I've asked a few people, how is your scripture reading? And some people here have responded like, oh, you know, I get to it like maybe once a week and, you know, I kind of think about it. Or, yeah, you know, whenever there's, you know, I don't know, it's, it's there or I hear it on the radio or whatever. Are we becoming spiritually lethargic? Are we just like, hey, I love being together and eating. We love to eat. But what do we really do? What do we do in our discipleship groups, in our salt groups? What do your salt groups look like? I mean, most of the time when I ask, like, so what do you guys do in salt? Well, we go and we have a bite to eat and, you know, we just talk about how I don't have a girlfriend and, you know, (laughs) and then we pray for each other that we'll find girlfriends and I'm like, really? Wouldn't it look a lot different as a community if we actually, like, got together and said, hey, let's read a chapter of the New Testament every day this week and then when we meet up, we'll talk about it and, like, what did God show you? How different would that be? But we just like the experience. It's nice. You know, let's just stay here for a while. Let's not really move past this. Let's set up some tents. We'll just set up camp. We're good. We're not really taking responsibility or understanding anything. Or we just interpret things the way that we want to interpret them when we do read. I used to do that as a young believer. And trust me, I've seen transformation in my life, but I remember when when I first became a believer, I was like, oh, this is so great. And I would start reading through passages, and it would say, like, don't do this or do this. I'm like, that's me. I totally do that. I don't do that. Oh, I'm good. I'm really, oh, praise God. I'm on the right path. I'm doing good. It's just affirming what we already believe. You're not really different from the Stater Brothers Nazi. I mean, he had a theology. He just never really thought about it. He never invested in it much. He thought, well, no, I just said the prayer, and that's good. I had the experience. But there's actually something more to it. And it comes through daily taking in the Word of God. Why don't we do this? Why do we have trouble actually listening for and reading through and sitting down? For some people, it's just priority, and they're like, well, my time. I mean, I got, you don't understand. I work 12-hour shifts, and, you know, it's really hard, and, and I understand that. I get it. But let me ask you, if you're married or in a relationship, don't you like sit down and want to have a discussion with somebody or at least call somebody or text somebody? Don't you want to hear about them? My wife works 12-hour shifts, but she comes home and she still has a lot to say about the shift and we talk, right? There's some sort of relationality there. You want to hear from it. You want to hear from them. You want to hear from God. We need to think about reprioritizing our life. Recently, I switched over from uh, reading the news in the morning. I just tried it the last, like, two, three weeks. I'm like, okay, I'm so tired of waking up and, like, oh, what's in the news? Oh, my gosh, that's I'm angry. Oh, I'm going to wake up and shower angry now, right? And I switched over because I'm like, I'm just tired. Because then my whole day I'm thinking about some stupid article I read. And I'm not saying don't read the news, okay? Read the news, know what's going on. But it's just, oh, oh, this happened, now that, oh. And instead I'm like, you know what, let me, let me get a Bible app. So I, I downloaded one, like Our Daily Bread. There's lots of them. There's Our Daily Bread, He Reads Truth, She Reads Truth. There's, okay, ASCII launch. she has like 10 of those, okay. And I pop that open now every morning, and I'm just so blessed that this word kind of sticks with me. Right? So sometimes it's just habitual. It's something we got to get into. But I think the other reason is this, that we're kind of afraid of what we'll find when we open our Bibles. Obviously, this racist gentleman that I, I introduced you to at the very beginning of the sermon, he hadn't read part of that, and he hadn't really thought part of that, and he hadn't thought about the implications of it quite yet. He just thought, okay, Jesus, yep, all the Old Testament, it's all good. I affirm it. It's all good stuff but it didn't really speak to him quite yet. And maybe, just maybe, it's because it's scary. I mean, he was backing up into like the cereal or whatever was behind us, like, oh man, I never thought about that. Like, that's my whole life. Jesus says some pretty hard things to say, uh, to, to, to understand. It's true. When he says things like, deny your family and follow me, I don't know if I want to read this book. It's kind of scary. When he says things like, forgive others who have wronged you, Give them another chance. Why don't you apologize if you've done something wrong? In fact, that's more important than coming here. Why don't you sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor? These are hard things that like, what the heck? These are radical things. And maybe, just maybe, we're afraid of actually living out that sort of lifestyle. And so we're around it. We've all heard about it in Sunday school. In children's ministry, okay, we know, David throws the rock, Goliath dies. I actually get really in detail with my son, because he's like, yeah, the rock killed him. I'm like, well, technically, the sword slayed him by slitting his throat. Anyway, I get really, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's there. I mean, I'm just saying. But we've all heard it, and we think that we know it much better than we do. Peter didn't recognize any of this. He didn't recognize what was going on. That, oh my gosh, this actually is the way. Why? Because if it was true and he affirmed that, that Jesus must suffer and die, well, what does that mean for his followers? Same thing. That as Christians, we're also called to suffer and go through trials, to go through hard times. That could be really scary. Most of us, I think, just like, I just want the happy verses to pop up to give me encouragement to get through my day, like a cup of coffee or something. But what happens when you get a devotional one morning that says, actually, uh, yeah, you need to go and forgive somebody. Actually, you need to have a hard conversation with somebody. Actually, you do have resentment and hatred in your heart. You need to deal with it right now. That's scary. We want the glory. See, I want the glory. I want like the end to come where we're like, okay, great. Now, just like the, 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 the grocery store races. He's like, well, all that will happen in heaven and we'll all sing kumbaya together. But I said, no, it actually starts right here. God was forming a new society in you right now. That will come. We will see that perfection. We will see all those things. But we have to first go to the cross. You cannot bypass the cross on your road to glory. You cannot bypass the cross on your road to glory. How are we able to do this? How are we able to actually, like, read it? Because some people, you know, they're like, I tried to read the Bible, and it's boring, or it's stiff, or it's stale. It's just information. Some people are like, oh, man, that reminds me of this, this, and that, and they go off. Like, it's like, that's not even what the Scripture said. Now you're, like, you know, riding horses and, like, you know, skipping through fields and saying, like, what the heck is it? Like, how do we actually have an authentic relationship with the Word of God in front of us? Well, I think we get a little clue here from what Jesus does right after. So God basically comes in, interrupts Peter. He's like, I can, you know, we can rent a motel and stay. And God's like, all right, enough of that. Look, this is my son, whom I love. And he's said that before, by the way, when? At the baptism of Jesus, if you remember, from the beginning of Matthew and Mark and Luke. He's like, this is my son, whom I love. But there's something a little different about what he says here. He says, listen to him. This is a command from God. Listen to the Word of God. In other words, pick it up and read it. Do you know how blessed you are that you are literate people? Do you understand how blessed you are that you are able to look at characters on paper and somehow translate that in your mind to ideas? Most of human history, people were illiterate. Most people were illiterate. And now even today, it's estimated that more people are illiterate than literate. You know how blessed you are to be able to have something to understand, that God has spoken in some way. That's amazing. Now for me, this is just me personally, I think that if God has given us minds and skills like this then we're to be good stewards of it. So if I'm able to read, because some people tell me, like I just, I, I can read, I just don't like to read, I hate reading. Okay, listen to a sermon. Have it Now on the apps these days, you, they'll read it to you. I mean, my goodness. But God said, listen to him. Everything about the society that I am forming, everything about life, not just the situation that you're in right now, but everything about all of life is encapsulated in the person of Jesus. And look at what Jesus does right after that. These guys are afraid, obviously. They're like, pfft okay, we messed up. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I hear that. I get that. Okay, uh, I don't know. They're cowering. They just heard this booming from this thunderous cloud, and they look up, vision done. What do they see? Jesus came up, but Jesus came up and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. There's something more personal going on, and I alluded to that a little bit earlier. That when we're reading Scripture, we're not just reading it mechanically like any other book. But there's something very special about this Scripture, that we actually get to read it with God, quite literally, with Jesus. And he comes and touches us. He says, don't be afraid. Get up kind of like, let's go, let's move forward. I know this is a hard word to understand. This may be be tricky. This may be complicated in your life situation right now, but I'm with you. I see you. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. With the Christian, we have the benefit of not just hearing a book of rules and saying, okay, I'll carry this out and hopefully I did it right at the end of my life but we have the benefit of somebody actually walking with us, somebody who encapsulates all of it, somebody who has actually gone through and done it himself. And that's God in the flesh through the person of Jesus. So when he says, okay, there is glory on the other side, but I want you to follow some really hard sayings. Follow after me. I'll be the first one to be crucified. We're not going to uplift the Roman government and like throw it, upheave it and all of that. The only person that's going to die here is me. And I ask my followers to do the same. And I'll show you the way and I will teach you. Listen to my words. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So we actually have somebody to come alongside of us, to come into us, to speak to us on an individual basis and as a community. That's what's different. I've heard many different, uh, I've heard atheists do debates and everything. Like, oh, I've read the Bible many times. I'm like, okay. And the, I don't really believe it. I mean, I should look at all of these different things. It's like, okay, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Well, no. What do you mean? Oh, I can't have a relationship. Okay. Then, of course, you don't understand. Of course, you don't see it. There's no transformation happening. It's just information. Many years ago, there was a, <clears throat> a Christian club that I was a part of at Golden West College. There was a, a young man who came in who schooled Everybody. They asked him, uh, they asked in the Bible study different questions, and he was able to answer them and then elaborate and go into all these different Bible points. It was pretty amazing. And they asked him, like, hey, what church are you from? Like, that's crazy. Like, you know, you got a lot of Bible teaching going on at that church. They said, what church you at? And he said, oh, I don't, I don't have a church right now. I don't really go to church. And, and, he's, and they're like, which, you know, theologically is, you know, kind of wrong. And, and they're like, but how do you know so much scripture? Like, we grew up in the children's ministry and in the youth, and we still don't even really know the Bible like you know. So how do you know all this scripture? You know what his answer was? I read it. Mike drop. Schooled everybody. Just by reading it and gathering that wisdom. But you could tell he had that personal connection and relationship with Christ, and he was able to live that out in his life. And then look at the final thing that happens when you do this, when you actually sit down and pray. That is why, actually, I pray around the time that we read the Scripture, okay, because I want us to understand that we don't just read it in isolation. Even if you're, like, hearing a devotion or something on your way to work, and maybe you just want to, you know, get some of the Word of God, like, I just need it in my life, still pray, even as you're going in. God, help me, you know, what are some things, can you speak to me through your Word? I want to listen to you. I need you. I can't do this on my own today, and I know that you've given me this for a reason. Show me. Reveal it to me. You'll notice at the end of this scripture that as they're coming down the mountain, now they're asking all these questions. They're starting to think a little bit deeper. It's not just surface level. Now this is like real like Bible study like right in front of them, literally the, the walking word. <laughs> hey, well, well, all the teachers of the law, they're saying this and this and that. They're more engaged. They're asking deeper questions now. Do we do that as a church? Do we do that as a church? Do we actually read through the word and get excited and say, man, what is God doing in our life? What is God doing in my life right now? What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? We actually also can be transformed like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, like, again, like blistering sun face and super bright shirt. But the same word for transfigured or transformed that we find here is also found in Romans. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But be transformed. That is the same word that is used about Jesus literally like becoming like, whoa, like Optimus just went into super mode or whatever. That's the same thing that God now does in us. How does he do so? It's through constantly having God on our minds, through constantly having Christ on our minds. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, the patterns that say, well, you could look up Google advice, you can ask your friends about how to live a life and get over a complicated relationship, but actually the Word of God will speak more truth than anything else and transform your mind in the way that you view life. For Peter and for the other apostles, this was transforming. They still didn't quite understand it. But it went from, okay, here's my current situation to, whoa, this thing is way bigger than I thought. This speaks to the heart. This is something that we can now live on. We can all be transformed in our minds, just like a, just like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly or a sinner becomes a saint. But it's important for us to realize that Jesus encapsulated the word, fulfilled it when he died on the cross and when he returned to say that I'm now going to be in you. I'm going to go with you. I'm with you always till the end of the age. Now he is able to help transform and and bring about this new society that God had from the very beginning. And he does all of this through Chris singing up here. Well, a little bit maybe. Through me talking at you for a half an hour, maybe a little bit. But the primary means is through this, through scripture and prayer, this book that has been given to you. So if you're stale, if you're kind of rusty, if you're like, man, it's been a while, I want to just encourage you that there is glory. You will see transformation. When I was a teen, I picked this thing up. I asked my parents, I'm like, or my mom and my my oma, my uh, grandmother, I'm like, hey, um, do we have a Bible? Because I was one that didn't grow up in the church. And I just, I'm like, okay, I'm hearing Christians like with this this thing, this something was said by God. I said, Do we have one of those Bibles? And they're like, we do. And so I got it out. Cracked up in Genesis. I didn't know how to say it, I didn't grow up in the church. I skipped past most of this stuff, but when I got to Matthew, I'm like, there's a New Testament. I like new things more, you know. And when I met Jesus, I'm like, man, this guy's a troll. I love this guy. Yeah, he's awesome. And slowly I began seeing changes. As I got to Paul's letters, it's like, put all of this away from you, all of this nastiness. God has something much more, like so much more for your life than you think. I got rid of all of my pornography. I started getting rid, I I cleaned up the way I talk. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is nasty when I say these things. And I'm, why am I saying these things? What do you say about, oh my gosh, I'm angry. Bitterness? Like, why do I have bitterness, God? And, And it's that interaction between the text and prayer. That brought about what we call sanctification, being more like Jesus. Because literally, you're letting more of the Word into you, more of Jesus into you. And it is circulating around. It does have a transforming property. Yes, there are lots of affirmations of your, of your faith and lots of emotions. Yes, it's a lot of information. But it's when you're interacting directly with God as you sit down to read the Scripture that you will see transformation in your life. Here's how I'd like to end this. I'd like us to just, to just close our eyes and just listen. I'm going to read through psalm, uh, just part of Psalm 119. It's a very long psalm. But I'm only going to read about six or seven verses. This was something written by an ancient Israelite, a psalmist, who had loved God's word. And this was a whole anthem to the word of God. So just listen. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in the following of your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word.